Well, what happened? It's cool oh. now. All right, I'm Sean O'Connell. That is Zachariah Slenderbrook. This is uh, the worst timing ever to begin a sports-related <laughs> podcast. What do you mean? It's the best timing ever. <laughs> it's the worst timing on planet Earth. There's no live sports going on. Exactly. That's when you shine, Sean. OC. Uh, that's when you. And first of all, easy on the last name. And second of all, you got it. You got to name the show. It's the wait, wait, wait. You don't. You don't want me to use your last name? No, I'm like Prince, baby. It's just Zachariah. Uh, you're not like Prince. Okay, <laughs> okay like Madonna. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you want to do. You, but, sir, <laughs> are far from being the kind of person who can just go by by one name. I'm a one-name guy. you're certainly no Prince. You're certainly no Prince where you just turn your name into a symbol at some point. You know what I mean? I might just do that. <sighs> you could you could do a lot of things with the Z. But anyways, you, you, you got to say the name of the show. It's the OC and Z show. OC and Z. We're going to call it that for now until we come up with something better. What's your fighting name or whatever? The, the real OC or something? I don't even know, man. I, didn't, I haven't used that thing in 12 years. It doesn't matter. Fair enough. <sighs> so we decided... We've been wanting to do something together for a few years, and we decided now's the perfect time, like a couple of idiots, now's the perfect time to talk about sports when there's no sports. But we're lucky today because today, if you actually get this thing edited and released today, today is the NFL draft, the 2020 NFL draft. But hang on, back up, back up, slow your roll. First of all, this is the best time to do it because everybody's getting exposed, OC, with no sports to talk about. This is when you show if you're actually talented or not. Anybody can talk about the Super Bowl or talk about the box score of X, Y, and Z uh-huh. or talk about a press conference. This is when you shine, baby. Here's and the problem. Here's the problem. Okay. You are assuming that the audience that we are trying to appeal to, the nationwide sports viewing, media consuming audience, uh-huh. actually cares at all about you having real talent. <laughs> well, I mean, of course they do. They want to no, be entertained. They do, they do. No one cares about it. If that were the case, then Stephen A. Smith would not be the biggest thing. Skip <laughs> Bayless would not be. People want the lowest common denominator. So if we want this thing to be successful, we mm-hmm. should scream at each other, give out garbage hot takes, oh, and be as no, controversial no. as possible. That is the key. Is well, we, we could do a little bit of that. But before we get into the draft, this is going to be the formula. We're going to do yeah, something yeah. about the something about the Rona. And then a sports topic, and then we're gonna do, and then we're gonna do suggestions of what you should watch at the end of every show. So okay, let's yeah. start yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Rona. Do you want me to go first or you to go first? Again, no. this could be this could be depressing. This could be funny. <laughs> this could be uh, exciting. This could be cool. This could be creative. This could be yeah, anything yeah. about the Rona. Let's try and steer clear of actually depressing things, okay? Because uh, people don't uh, want to tune in to OC and Z to well, feel bad about their lives. So, well, I mean, okay. You can put a, you can put right, a, yes, the formula will be we'll start with the latest on the corona front. Oh, you're, you're, you're getting rid of the Dan Marino for the, the Raiders <laughs> underneath. No, I'm going to put it back on. I just, it's getting hot in here because I'm getting fired up. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the first episode. I'm getting fired up, OC. So, yeah, do you want me to go first no, with something first. on the you Rona? Go, you, no, this, I, I want you to go first. I give you credit for coming up with this game plan, this format. Uh, you want to start every show with a little coronavirus update, 2020. <laughs> it's not an update. It's just something about the Rona to start yeah. every show. So haircuts is where I want to start with the Rona. So before yeah. this thing really hit, first of all, it's hilarious to see people on TV like, I've seen specific sports anchors where, like, their hair is completely out of control, and I just die laughing. And then there's other people that have their wives are cutting their hair, and it looks horrible. It's just the whole haircut thing is hilarious. But 
before this whole thing started, OC, my buddy texted me because I posted something on the gram. I had just gotten the cut. And this is like right before it all hit. And my buddy texted me. He's like, oh, you're lucky, man. You snuck a haircut in right before. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because I didn't really know it was going to hit like this. And now I know exactly what he's talking about because <laughs> I got it. I got it in at the perfect time. So I'm still cool. I got a couple more weeks. But here's the other thing, OC. People are now accusing me. So, you know, everybody's face chatting or whatever, FaceTiming and all that stuff. People are accusing me like, oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm like, what? They're like, you got a haircut. I'm like, no, I swear it was before it all hit. I swear it was before it all hit. So I'm getting, I'm getting killed. You get haircut shamed? <laughs> yeah, people think I'm going out there to the barber shop. You getting cut shamed? Look. Your hair looks good. I'll tell you why. I, this is after 16, 18 years of just cutting my own hair. I am finally vindicated. I've been cutting my own hair my whole life. Really? My whole life. I, I've gone and gotten cuts a couple of times, mostly because of pressure from significant others, a.k.a. my wife. It's just like, <laughs> you're not as good at cutting your own hair as you think you are. You should really go get – we're getting pictures taken. You really should go get your hair cut by a professional. And every time I do, I don't like how they do it, right? Really? Like, yeah. So you, do, you do better than the pros. Well, probably not, right? But for my own taste, yes. Got you. Here's the thing. I feel vindicated now because I look how I always do, which is maybe my hair looks a little better than the average person who hasn't had a cut in a month now. But I might have been walking around for the last 18 years with bad haircuts because I did it myself. But now, okay, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, okay? The only dude who cuts his own hair for the last 18 years looks better than people who haven't been cutting their own hair. When we go back to normal – Eh, we probably, I probably go back to being the guy with a bad haircut because I do it myself. But I've saved a lot of money this way. And during the Corona quarantine, I just cut my own hair last night. That's incredible. I, I mean, I gotta say, if you had told me that you had gotten that at the barbershop, I would have believed you. As much as I hate to give you props, you do a damn good job. And that's amazing. I, so wait, how, how do you go about doing that? Do you need like a bunch of mirrors? How do you even no. how do you see what you're, you're just guessing back there? No, no, I mean on the back, like when you're talking about lining yourself up or whatever, yeah, yeah. you got to have a trusted assistant, okay? So like my wife, she'll make sure that the lines are straight across the okay. back of the neck okay. and up to the ears and whatnot, and then yeah. as soon as it's to the front of the head, it's all me, okay? Wow. And I just, you know, you can fade up by feel. You know, like if you sit in a barbershop and you close your eyes and you actually pay attention to them like shaving and fading your hair, uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know where they've cut and where they haven't already right huh. so you just do that to yourself interesting yeah i had a buddy that did it I, I think if i tried that i would end up just shaving my head which is not a bad thing because i basically had a shaved head my whole life it's just now that i started getting the uh whatever they call it the uh the gentleman's fade that's how it actually all started for me because from the time i was basically a junior in high school i just went through this cycle of where i would shave my head and then i just grow out a big old mop and then i'd shave my head again once i got sick of it and then I did that for years and years and years. And then I, when I became an actual adult, like post-college, I was like, I should probably have something besides a buzz yeah, or something besides this mop of a haircut. So I, I, I kind of learned how to do a proper haircut, if well, you can even call it that. But it is what it is. No, no, no. It looks solid. What was the phrase that you used? Something in the land of the blind, the uh, the shepherd is king? Or what did in you say? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. If, what it means is... 
you don't have to be the best thing in the world, right? So this, ah. doesn't, have to, this doesn't have to be the greatest haircut because gotcha. comparatively, yeah. this haircut compared yeah. to what everyone else's hair looks yeah. like right now, yeah, this is salon quality. Yeah. No, I've seen some. Uh, I've seen some disasters on TV. I forget who it was. It was um. It was the baseball insider for uh, for ESPN. What's that dude's name? Not Kirchin, but um, anyways, well, one of those Dallas guys. Dallas Braden always has bad hair, so it can't be him. Who? Dallas Braden. No, 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 no. Oh, I love Dallas Braden's hair. No, it's uh, anyways, it's one of the insiders, and he was just openly making fun of his hair. He was just like, it's a complete disaster. I'm well aware of it. <laughs> the, the the sports center guy that he was th- going back and forth with was just laughing at him. He didn't even try to make him feel better. Uh, anyways, haircuts is a funny thing in the uh, in the old QT. I'll tell you where it's not funny. I'm gonna say this: during this quarantine, we're getting these protests being staged now. You've seen this uh, of like people that want the, everything to get reopened or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And there are these people wandering around with their their picketing with signs that literally say, "We need haircuts." Look, <laughs> look. <laughs> Every one of you that I've seen with that sign, it doesn't matter what you do with your hair. You're not going to look much better than you do right now, okay? <laughs> Haircut's not their problem. A haircut is not your problem. A haircut is not worth that, okay? Yeah, it's pretty far down the list of it uh, of importance. It like if we, you know, what the hierarchy of needs is, right? Like you got, you got like food needs versus <laughs> wants. You got water, food. You got Toilet shelter. Paper. You got yeah, haircuts are not on that pyramid of needs, okay? Yeah. Haircuts are a luxury, everyone. You you really saw a picket sign that said, we need haircuts? Not one picket sign. Many, <laughs> many picket signs. Multiple people. <laughs> the group was just dedicated to haircuts? <laughs> Look, you can find this. It's, I believe it. It's, people are gathering at city county buildings. They're gathering at state capitals. And, yeah. And, my favorite thing about protesters in the, the modern era of protests is that nobody shows up with like any idea of what the exact specific thing that they want is. Yeah. You know, there's just signs all over the place. Like these people, they just want haircuts. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No solutions. No solutions. Just, just, just letting you know what they just, want. I want haircuts. And then the other, and then the ladies show up and they, their sign says, I want my kids to go back to school because I'm sick of them. And then there's like, you know, just the random redneck dudes who are in like full body armor and they have their AK 47s. And you're just like, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot the virus? What's <laughs> happening here? Like, what are you protesting against the unfortunate onset of this global pathogen? And so you're going to kill it with your guns? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah. I love, I love the people that, that both think that they could like shoot it or beat it up or whatever, but then also the people who have come out and they've gotten it. And then they've gotten past it, and they were like, "Yeah, it was just a matter of willpower." Like they swear they have like something like they think they they think they're Smokey from Friday, and they have like mind control over Debo. They're like, "Yeah, yeah it's just you know, it's just a matter of will." I'm yeah, like, "Okay, just, all right, all right, pal." Yeah, you just gotta flex on that virus. Look, people, <laughs> we're joking about it now. We want you to be safe. We want you to be happy. We want you to be healthy. And please, if you're going to the state capitol to protest to get the economy reopened, don't cough on anybody. All right. Yeah, wear a mask, wear gloves, wash your hands, do all that good stuff. Most of all, just actually, you know what? Don't go to the protests. Stay your ass home. <laughs> just don't, don't go, don't go to the protests. Promise you, it's not worth it. It's actually hilarious how like all these people that um, you know, we we all in America especially we fancy because we we're Americans and we love our rights 
and we love, you know, waving the flag and the eagles flying and guns shooting all over the place and stuff. And it's like, look, we all fancy ourselves to be like really tough, to be resilient people who can get through anything. But we have hundreds, thousands, so many people that are literally freaking out because they can't get a haircut right now. It's like, yeah. We are lucky that we were not alive during the Great Depression because every one of you just would have laid down in the Dust Bowl and died. (laughs) For real. You just don't have anything. You do not have the fortitude to make it through staying at home with Netflix. I promise you, you couldn't have have stormed the beach at Normandy, okay? Yeah. People are out here in their nice homes with, like, unlimited amount of things to watch and just entertain themselves and spend time with their animals and their family, and they're out here acting like it's a complete disaster. It could be a lot worse, people. Yeah. But today's a normal day, or at least it feels a little bit like a normal day because we have some version of sports. I mean, people are acting like the Super Bowls tonight. Uh, it's not. It's just the draft. But at least it's some sort of normalcy, OC. Although it's not yeah. going to be normal once they start broadcasting it and all these old fogies are in their are in their war rooms or whatever <laughs> trying to figure out Zoom. But at least we have the draft, OC. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be the best part of it is all of the like, wait, what? What do I? What do I push? <laughs> and all the people who don't know whether they're supposed to look at the camera at the top of the computer. Yeah, looking at themselves or the person they're talking to on the screen. Like when we do a Skype call like we're doing right now, you don't know whether you're supposed to look in the camera or you're looking down here or you're looking (laughs) down here. It's going to be great. Roger Goodell's going to be doing that. It's basically you're basically going to watch a big Zoom (laughs) call between your parents. Like all of you, just imagine, like I remember trying to teach my dad like the pager and like teaching my mom like how to use DVR. Like you know how long it took for me to show her how to rewind and pause and fast forward and stop and all that? Like all these, I mean, I they did go through a run through, so hopefully they're prepared for what they're going to see. But you know there's going to be some senior moments. And what happens if you're on the clock and you're like, all right, with the fifth pick in the NFL draft, we select – <laughs> you could fake it like you're doing and right screen, now if you don't know who you're gonna you, you could screen, stall and the screen freezes and then yeah. what are you you don't now your your clock runs out you don't get to pick how's that gonna work you know well, that, i think they already have they're already prepared for people to be able to extend their time Good. but you know you know teams are going to take advantage of that if they're scrambling i mean this is like a fantasy draft uh, I don't know if you play fantasy sports, but like if you're panicked and you don't know who to pick, you know, they auto select for you. You know, they're not going to do that, but there's going to be some teams who really don't know yet and they need more time and they're just going to be like, yeah, uh, you know, my computer. I, I, actually, I honestly, I honestly wish that it was an auto draft situation. You know, the Detroit Lions can't figure out how to get their connection going. And instead of Jeffrey Okuda, they end up, they end up getting some scrub. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be a scrub. It would be the next best available player. So they'd go, they'd go off like uh, Kuiper's big board or something. Oh, okay. Well, that's not quite as fun because then they, they still end up getting someone good. Yeah. All right, so what are you looking forward to in the draft tonight? What do you think we're going to see? Not that it's near and dear to my heart at all, but uh, I'm very interested in what's going to happen with Tua. Obviously, he's the guy. He would have been, you know, if he hadn't got hurt, he would have been the clear cut. Now, actually, I don't know with how, with how good of a season Burrow had. It might he would either be one or two though. Going into the season, he was the unanimous number one. Dolphins fans were talking about tanking for Tua. If he had just had a normal, amazing year 
and Burrow had the year that he had? Oof, I don't know. Let me ask you that, actually. If- I mean, I think Burrow, I think Burrow's year was going to make him a compelling number one prospect. If Tua was 100% healthy, and let's say that Alabama had been a playoff team, and yeah, and just a normal, a normal great year for Tua. Yeah, then I think that we're having a very serious conversation about who's going number one overall, and I think it becomes a big debate about the longevity of production for Tua and how he's been good for his career. Versus Burrow just had the one year. Burrow being kind of a flash in the pan, but but what we talk about with Joe Burrow is, look, this is a guy who went to a new place where he's surrounded by a ton of talent. He adapted to a new system and a new offensive language and all that stuff. That is a challenge in and of itself, and that's the kind of thing that you got to be able to do if you want to be a good NFL quarterback. But he had one of the best seasons in the history of college football. It's not like, oh, well, he just ended up, walked it into the best situation. He was a really good player. That's certainly a factor, but he elevated himself and his game and that team to being one of the best seasons in the history of college football. You can't ignore that, even if it only happened on a one-year sample size. So, I mean, he's going to be the number one overall pick, and you can't criticize it. Whether he works out or not, if it wasn't the Cincinnati Bengals picking there and it was someone else who needed a quarterback, anyone else who needed a quarterback, I think that Joe Burrow is probably the place you go there. So you're saying if Tua had another great year and didn't get hurt, you think Burrow would still go ahead of him? I think it would be a much more uh, interesting debate, but I still think that Burrow would probably go ahead of him. And okay. look, even if Tua had uh, a good season this year, there's still injury questions surrounding Tua Tagovailoa. He had two surgeries on his ankles. ankles He's a guy... Yeah. You know, he's he's a guy who hasn't completed a, a full season, basically. Even if he had done so in this last year, you would still have to think about, well, is he an injury-prone quarterback? Because one of the most underrated abilities in the NFL is durability. Is availability. Availability, right? You hear yeah. that cliche all the time. And no matter how many times it gets brought up, people forget because they get all drunk on the idea of a, of a freakish talent, a generational talent. Talent doesn't mean a thing if you're not reliably showing up to practice and to play. So CRG3. Yeah, it's tough, right? Well, yeah. So um, I'm going to be keeping my eye on that. I, I've heard, I've seen reports that the Dolphins want to move up to three without giving up five in order to try to trade three and five to get one from Cincy. I've seen the Dolphins maybe going up to three and then taking an offensive lineman. I've yeah. seen. I've I've seen a whole bunch of stuff, but I think what's going to happen is unless San Diego or San Diego, unless the Chargers move up to either three or four to get Tua before the Dolphins, I think the Dolphins will end up taking Tua at five. But I think that's where the most possible movement is going to happen. Other than that, like we said, Burrow's probably going to go to one. He's an Ohio kid since he's been awful forever. So it seems like he's going to go number mm-hmm. one. And then number two, a lot of people say that even better than Burrow, Chase Young is the best overall player in the draft. He goes to the Redskins. The Redskins just drafted a quarterback last year. And then I think it gets interesting at three. I mean, how do you feel about a cornerback going in the top five? Well, look, there are positions, premium positions in the NFL right now, and we know all of those are related to the passing game, right? Quarterback is the number one premium position, always has been, always will be. Yep. The guy who protects the quarterback, always been a huge premium draft position. The pass rusher, the guy you're talking about at number two, someone yep. who can disrupt an, op- an opposition's passing game. And By the way, you know his, uh, sorry to interrupt, you know his nickname? Whose nickname? Chase Young. Who? The Predator. 
anyone with dreads gets called the predator at some point in their life. It's just I not guess. even creative or cool anymore. Can you name another player whose nickname was the predator? I guess I just come from the fight world where everyone who has dreads gets called the predator. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyways, I love it. Anyways, go ahead. So, anyway, uh, guy that rushes, guy the, rushes the passer, right? I mean, that if you can disrupt an opposition's passing game, you're all of a sudden a big deal. And there are very few of those guys that play out on the edge, that play in isolation at the NFL level that are true what we, what we call lockdown corner. The lockdown corner is almost a myth, right? But Jeffrey Okuda might be that guy. So if you're talking about drafting someone that can take away the opposition's number one receiver on a reliable basis, that is just as important and just as valuable as having a guy who's going to get you 12 to 15 sacks a year. Because if you force whatever quarterback in the league to be working through his progression, talking about the number two, number three guy instead of that number one where he'd like to go, I mean, if you really believe that about Okuda, then absolutely you can pick a guy at three. Okay. More likely because they – look, no one has said a word about anything but Okuda for the Lions until this last week. And then it's like, well, they've got a lot of needs. Maybe it's time for them to really invest – in one of these offensive tackles, maybe because there's going to be that scramble for other teams that are desperate for top flight offensive linemen, for top flight quarterback talent. Maybe you trade back out of this spot and you can still, this is a very deep draft, right? Yeah. So still get an excellent offensive lineman at the back of the first round. There's going to be potentially eight offensive tackles taken in this first round. At wow. least six probably will end up in the middle at about seven, right? So. Wow. If the Detroit Lions decide, you know what, we need talent across the board. I really like the kid from Boise State to be offensive tackle for us. We don't have to get Mekhi Becton or Jedrick Wills or Werfs out of Iowa. Let's let's trade to the back of the first round, and maybe that's how Miami moves up, or maybe that's how the Chargers move up or whatever. But if I'm the Lions, watching Jeffrey Okuda, he's the kind of guy that could end up being like a Darrell Revis, Deion Sanders-type corner. So you can take that guy at three. Yeah, I guess it just wouldn't be my style. I'd be too scared. I mean, there's a couple of guys that are supposed to go either late first or early second. A.J. Terrell out of Clemson and Christian Fulton out of LSU. So I, I, to me, I hear what you're saying, and don't get me wrong. If it was going to be a Dion, if it was going to be a Darrell Revis, if it was going to be a Charles Woodson, if it was going to be you know, an Asamoah, then yes. But I guess with that position, I'm – less likely to take a risk that high. I mean, that early in the first round, I'm less likely to take a risk on a – on. A, I mean, look, they're all risks. Nothing's a guarantee. There's not one player in this draft that's guaranteed going to be an all-pro. So you're always taking a risk, but I think I'd be less likely to take it on a DB than I would on a pass rusher or a quarterback or, you know, hell, even like a Saquon Barkley or, you know – a Julio Jones or whatever. Like I, I guess DB is just the position for whatever reason that I'd be, I'd be the most irritated or annoyed or frustrated if my DB didn't pan out in the top five than I would versus a, a bunch of other positions. The 2019 NFL draft, just for reference for you, did not see a defensive back taken until 21. Wow. So yeah. your I concern. Mean, 
Your, yeah. your concern, I think, is warranted. This is a last year was considered a weak cornerback class. This year is considered a very strong corner class, right? We're talking about there should be a run on wide receivers early. There should be a run on tackles throughout the first round. There might be a run on corners. Uh, but to your point that you just made, guys like Christian Fulton very well could be available to you at pick 40. So are you going to go with someone like Okuda? At number three, do you think there's that big of a gap between those two guys in their skill sets? And we'll see. Yeah. What do you make of Herbert? You're I like a- Justin. I'm, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I've been covering the Pac-12. I've been doing a Pac-12 show for two years now. He sliced and diced the Utes, right? He he killed Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. I really like Justin Herbert. There's the questions that have followed him around for a good portion of his career, whether or not he's the right kind of leader in a locker room, whether he's a vocal guy. I don't know how much that matters in the NFL these days. I don't know how much that matters to you, Zachariah, because some of the best quarterbacks that we see currently in the game are guys that are relatively soft-spoken. They've got their own sort of charisma, the lead-by-example type guys, but you don't have to be a rah-rah quarterback in order to really have an NFL locker room respond to you. There are valid questions about whether or not it's like a chicken-and-the-egg thing. At Oregon, he was not really given full reign very often, right? Now, was that because his coach has a stylistically, I guess, contradictory standpoint to that, where he's like, he's an offensive line guy. He wants to hand the ball off. He wants to run behind their four all-conference guys, the, the Outland Trophy winner from this year. And so you don't need a Justin Herbert to take over games. Mm-hmm. Well, or is it that coach and the staff around him knew that Justin Herbert wasn't actually 100% capable of doing what Joe Burrow does, of doing what we saw Tua do at times, or Trevor Lawrence has been asked to do at certain times at a place like Clemson, and you can go on and on and on of the other examples. Uh-huh. So it's that chicken-and-the-egg argument, and which one do you believe? I believe that Mario Cristobal is just a dyed-in-the-wool, run-game-first guy, and they were good enough that he didn't need to rely on Justin Herbert to win games. Now... You go one layer deeper and you look at the film. He missed the throw that potentially could have won them a game against Auburn the very first game of the year last year. Missed Mm -hmm. it. Sailed it out of the back of the end zone. It's an unacceptable missed throw from a guy who we're talking about as a top 10 quarterback. If you're going to evaluate that, you're going to knock him for that. You also have to pay attention to the fact that in the fourth quarter, he led two scoring drives in an attempted comeback that only took a minute apiece just marching down the field, rifling it all over the place. So he's capable of both. And you just have to decide which one matters more to you. Yeah, I think he's I think he's the typical I'm not calling him Blaine Gabbert, but he's the kind of quarterback where going into the draft, obviously he had a really good senior bowl game and he's got all of the outside parts that you want. And yeah, I, I've heard the same questions you have about whether or not He's got it in him if he's the type of leader that you want in the locker room and blah, 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 blah. And I'm kind of with you. I don't think you need to have the rah, rah type. I think you can lead by your actions. You don't necessarily have to be super vocal. But I just, for me, I would be wary of drafting him. If I was a Dolphins fan, um, I would be much happier with getting Tua knowing that he has superstar potential versus getting a guy like Herbert where he's got all of the things that you want in terms of big, tall, you know, big arm. He's got all the stuff that you want in a quarterback, but there's been a lot of quarterbacks that have been like that, 
and have not panned out. Like I mentioned Blaine Gabbert, but there's a bunch of other guys where you can have those tools, that's fine, but I need to see it more. And he has shown flashes of it, but there hasn't been the kind of consistency that you've seen out of Tua when Tua's been healthy. Well, the other argument here is when you're evaluating a Tua Tonga-Vailoa versus a Justin Herbert, you, is just like when you evaluate a Carson Wentz or you evaluate uh, a Josh Allen, the Wyoming kid that the Bills drafted, right? There is a significant difference in the talent around Tua and the talent particularly that he is throwing to That's versus true. Justin Herbert. And it shouldn't be that way. Oregon is trying to close that gap, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it's not like Justin Herbert comes from Fresno State or something. He's at the University yeah. of Oregon. That is a yeah, big yeah. brand school now. Yeah. But they, for whatever reason, they have not had the pass-catching threats as of late that uh, that even, you know, like a couple of guys further further back, even a Marcus Mariota probably had better targets than Justin Herbert has had. So, again, you're talking about a guy who's got all the physical tools. There might be a slight question about whether or not he has the personality to really take over games. He's got all the physical tools. He's got the big arm. He's got everything you need. But did he have the toolbox around him? Did he have the supporting cast? Great offensive line in front of him. Yep. Adequate running backs. But who are you throwing to? Tua Tonga Bailoa is throwing to to rugs. He's throwing to Jerry Judy. <laughs> two, two wideouts that are going to go high in the or in the middle of the first round. Tua Tonga Bailoa was playing at least at some point in that Alabama system in a situation where he could just take a snap and drop the football on the ground in front of him, and that offense was probably going to score touchdowns because of <laughs> because of the offensive line they had, because of yeah. the stable of running backs, yeah. because. You, he could close his eyes and throw the ball up in the air, and one of those dudes was going to go get it. Justin Herbert has never had that at the University of Oregon. And that's and he not also, his- He also had good numbers, 67% of his passes, 32 touchdowns and six picks. It's not like he had a bad year. For whatever reason, I don't know, where are you at? Would you take the more like – it feels like Herbert's safer and you're rolling the dice on Tua because of the injury stuff. Would you take – I would draft. I would draft Justin Herbert because I'm a lot more worried about the injury – yeah. Than, than a lot of people are. Tua Tagovailoa, look. I mean, he had the Bo Jackson hip injury. He had the Bo Jackson hip injury. The but it is technology. 2020 now. It is yeah, 2020. technology and procedures and all that stuff are better. But he had surgeries before that also. And is he a guy that if you put him in a situation where he doesn't have comparatively the kind of talent around him, is he going to excel in the same way? Does Tua Tagovailoa elevate Alabama to being Alabama, or is he a product of being a great player who showed up at Alabama and got put into a situation where he had two of the best running backs in the country, three of the best offensive linemen in the country, two of the best wide receivers in the country, and a defense that very rarely puts you in bad positions? I mean, when you get drafted high, like he, like Tua Tagovailoa is about to, you are not going to the Alabama of the NFL. You're going from the Alabama of college football to the Mississippi State of the NFL at yeah. best. Yeah. Now, now, can you win at Mississippi State? That is the question. I think Justin Herbert can. Tua, probably so. He's a great yeah. player, but he's got to get healthy, and they got Fitzmagic right now in Miami that's going to have to be the stopgap anyway. Well, we'll see. Obviously, a lot of the talk centers around the quarterback, most important position in all of sports. But uh, my favorite player in the draft is not a quarterback or a wide receiver or a running back 
or a DB, do you want to know who my favorite player in the draft is? OC. I do. Isaiah yeah. Simmons. He's a freak. Linebacker out of Clemson. My favorite, my favorite thing about him is he was asked, so what position exactly do you play? You know what his answer was? Defense. Defense. <laughs> that is so good. That is exactly the kind of player I want on my team who does not, he doesn't say I play linebacker. I don't play defensive end. I don't play DB. I don't play set. No, I just play defense. So that's here's the, the thing. best answer ever. So here's the thing. You were, you were a little leery of the idea that the Lions should spend a number three pick on Jeffrey Okuda because look, if you're a corner, even if you're a big time impact corner, you're out there on an island, right? Mm-hmm. And that your 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 impact on the game is you just shut down a number one receiver and that's it. They don't throw it your way. You get you know forty five tackles a year cleaning up run support and chasing yeah. down other people's routes, but that's it. You don't get to be super disruptive if they're not throwing the ball your way. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Simmons at number three. Matt Patricia loves loves these Swiss Army knife guys in a defense. Loves guys that can rush the passer, loves guys that are big enough and fast enough to run with a tight end in today's NFL, but can also stop the run. Would you be comfortable with the Detroit Lions taking Isaiah Simmons at number three and throwing this this top draft order all out of whack? Uh, I, I would be. I just told you I love him, and I think that you're not just taking a chance on a DB. You're taking a chance on all these different positions and all these different places that you can put them. I mean, hell, Maybe maybe it turns out that at the NFL level, he's not good at one of the different things that he can do. But I, I'm assuming that you're increasing your odds of getting a very valuable part of your defense if he can play so many different parts of it. Maybe he plays all of them and he flourishes at all of them and you can move him around. and it's fan- Or maybe he just ends up succeeding in one of them. But either way, I think yeah. you're increasing your odds of, of not having a bust on your hands with a guy like that. He can't play boundary corner, right? You can't have him isolated against the number one receiver yeah. uh, on a, in an opposing offensive man coverage. You can't let him do that. And you can't put him with his hands in the ground, uh, you know, from B-gap to B-gap. You can't make him play interior defensive tackle. Any other thing you want that guy to do in your defense, I really think he's capable of doing. Great player. Great pull by you saying he's your favorite guy in this whole draft. And I would be comfortable with him going as high as number three. I don't think we'll see it. But Matt Patricia, if anyone's going to play that wild card, Matt Patricia's that guy. I think I think in a perfect world for Detroit, they trade with either the Dolphins or the Chargers, who are both paranoid about either one getting one of the quarterbacks that they want. I think both the Dolphins and the Chargers are going to sit pat. And then if one of them just wants to trade up to get one of them, they'll just take the other quarterback. Yeah, I think um, the Chargers. I think the Chargers know they can get Herbert at six, and they're going to stay right, right where they are. And the Dolphins might be stupid enough to be paranoid to think that the Chargers are going to go up to get Tua, and they might trade up even though they don't have to. But in a perfect world for the for the Lions, because as you said, if they did take them three, then it would be shaking up the draft order. But in a perfect world for them. They trade, get a little bit more draft capital, and then still be able to pick him at, you know, whatever, six or six or seven. Yeah. I mean, the chalk is Burrow, Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda. I would not be shocked if we get rid of that chalk after pick number two. 
and we get yeah. some trades and we get something crazy happening. I, I'd be 100% on board with it, especially right now when we have nothing else to talk about in sport. So as you know, I'm up here in the Bay Area. I'm trying to get you to move up here. Uh, I have that apartment anytime you want it, pal. But uh, I want to talk real quickly because I think it's hilarious. Do you remember that draft? I forget the year, OC. But the Raiders and the Niners were, were drafting really close to each other. And it was Crabtree and it was Hayward Bay. And all the Niners fans were worried that the Raiders were going to draft Crabtree as they should have. But then Al Davis, God rest his soul, was still alive, busted in the draft room and said, who ran the fastest 40? And it was it was Hayward Bay. So they drafted Hayward Bay. Niners fans everywhere rejoiced. And then they got Crabtree. Um, but anyways, we're in a similar situation here, OC, where the uh, the Niners, after getting the 13th pick from the Colts, draft right after the Las Vegas, which sounds weird, Raiders at 12. Yeah. Um, I think they should both go wide receivers, whether it's C.D. Lamb or it's uh, Jerry Judy. By the way, best thing about Jerry Judy in the world is that he wears a Jewish star around his neck. <laughs> and they asked him why. They said, are you Jewish? And he's like, he's like, nah, my name's uh, Jerry Judy, and uh, they just call me Jew. So I said, yeah. the Jewish star. That is my favorite story in the, in the draft, and I don't think anybody's going to top it. I don't care what comes up. Him wearing a Jewish star, not because he's Jewish, but because they call him Jew, which I think I'm allowed to say all this, right, because it's just fact. Like nothing I'm saying is racist, right? I'm good. That racist? No, you're just speaking factual. Okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm being careful in 2020. No, look, I, I do a my day job. I do that Pac-12 Sirius XM show uh-huh. with a guy named Jeff Schwartz, who played at the University of Oregon, played in the league for eight years, offensive lineman. Uh-huh. He is a big, gigantic Jewish man. Okay. All right? Okay. And when that story came out, he was laughing his ass off. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world because it is hilarious. It can happen. Look, it can only happen in the South, right? I, I live in Utah. We are mm. not exactly a diverse state, right? No, no, no not very. And I, I went to the University of Utah. I, I played at the University of Utah. I, I'm still pretty in touch with uh, some of the coaching staff and people there. And Jeff and I were laughing, my co-host Jeff Schwartz and I were laughing about just how there's just no, we talk about representation all the time, and there is just no representation of Jewish football players in a lot of places. So at Alabama, no one's walking up to Jerry Judy and being like, Jerry, I'm Jewish. I really don't appreciate you wearing that. Please, <laughs> you know, he's not getting that story. <laughs> and, and, and so I called. I called one of my, my, my friends who's still on staff up there at the University of Utah and I was like, who's the last, who's the last Jewish football player to come through that program? It's been almost 20 years since I was there. there. Uh He could not recall a time when we had a Jewish player on that program, right? Wow. So, So no, like whether or not it's a good idea for Jerry Judy to be wearing a Star of David necklace. That's up for debate. But it's not like he's got people in the Alabama program that are like, hey, man, look, I'm Jewish. Yeah. I really I really think you need to understand what this symbol means to my people. He's just like, that's just a... I wonder how many people see it when he's like walking around the, like just walking around town or whatever. How many people just see it and go, oh, he just, you know, he converted to Judaism. Yeah, maybe they, you know, 
He's Jewish. She's like, no, 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 because of that. They call me Jew. No, no. Anyways, for the, for the Raiders and the Niners, um, what do you think about that? Because a lot of people, when I've just had casual discussions with, you know, all my buddies are pretty much, I mean, you know, whatever. 90% of them are either a Niner fan or a Raider fan. Yeah. And, and, and every time I throw that around, they all say it's such a wide receiver rich draft that they should go after different needs. They both have cornerback needs. Um, they both have, you know, needs all over the, I mean, the Niners obviously a lot less so than the Raiders, but they all say since there's so many wideouts, why take them that high? But I think those three are up there for a reason. And I think the Raiders, after that disaster of a debacle with Antonio Brown last year and then with the, uh, with the Niners, they lost, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Jesus. Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, he's, he signed. You could edit that part. Yeah, no, I will. Um, um, so the, the Niners lose Emmanuel Sanders. The Raiders have the debacle with Antonio Brown. So I think they should both go wide out despite the fact that it's a wide out rich draft. And, you know, I don't have a particular one that I think should go either way. I just know Derek Carr needs weapons. And, um, you know, with the Niners, obviously Shanahan's a genius, but you got to give Garoppolo another wide out to throw to other than Debo Samuel. I feel the same way about wide receivers that a lot of people feel about run, the running back position now. Mm. Disposable? Interchangeable? Well, you can find really good wide receivers from a lot of un, you know unexpected places. You can find really good, really productive guys in the right situation that – were not big time draft picks, right? That were not, uh, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough situation when you're a team that has such an obvious need for receiving weapons, right? Mm-hmm. You need something to complement George Kittle. You need another weapon, another option for a, a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. But if you have another need, like a pressing need along your offensive line, in your defensive backfield, whatever it is, I would be happy to see the 49ers address that with their first pick in this. Because to your point, you can get LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado in the second round. And if he's healthy, he's going to be one of the most dynamic players in the rookie class. But you're gambling – on C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy or Ruggs or whoever being the next big thing as a wide receiver when it's just, to me, it's a guessing game, right? I mean, Jerry Judy's going to be an excellent wide receiver in the NFL. Ruggs is a burner. He's extremely fast. But you know who else is fast? Every damn defensive back <laughs> in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean – I feel the same way about wide receivers as a lot of people feel about running backs, where it's a position you can get not the elite, not the cream of the crop, not the Jerry Judys of the world. You can't get that guy in the second, third round, but you can get someone who's damn good, who's going to catch 80 balls for you every year in the third and fourth round. Yeah, and I'm actually going to – this is – weird and probably not usually done in sports talk radio or whatever, but I'm going to, I'm going to pile on 
on arguments of why they shouldn't get a wideout while still sticking with uh, <laughs> my my thoughts that they should get a wideout. Because you could also make the argument that Shanahan's a genius and he kind of creates the offense no matter what with shifting and having guys in motion and just his 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 crazy run game where to your point it doesn't matter who the running back is uh he's got Kittle um they do have Debo they can get and and also this is a wide receiver rich draft so they can get wide receivers later in the draft although they don't have a lot of picks they have two picks in the first round but then they don't have a pick in the second third or fourth round so there's been rumors that they're trying to trade both of their first round picks to get picks in the second, third, and fourth. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you can make that argument, but I just think, I, I don't know, I feel comfortable. Um, and also, you can make the argument that they could draft more defensive players because what killed them in the Super Bowl was the inability to stop Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Not that anybody can stop Patrick Mahomes. Well, look. But- the 49ers defense was not their problem. Patrick Mahomes was their problem. That's true. Uh, the, the 49ers defense is what got them to the damn Super Bowl. That yeah. guy is just yeah. kryptonite for a lot of people. And yeah. that's why you might want to, you might want to move up if you're the San Francisco 49ers to get an Isaiah Simmons type player where you can just spy and just say, your whole job. It's just Mahomes. <laughs> it's just Mahomes. Don't worry yeah. about anything else. Yeah. You don't need to know what formation we're running. You don't need to know anything else. Just Mahomes. Um, for I for still... what it's worth, for what it's worth, Yeah. three of the top five wide receivers in the NFL this year were not first-round draft picks. So you could get guys in the third, fourth, fifth rounds, and they might still be elite wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah. Devontae I... Adams – Devontae Adams was the best wide, was the most productive, I shouldn't say best, the most productive wide receiver uh, in the NFL this year, and part of that is because of who he's playing with, who's throwing him the football, right? Mm-hmm. That's a second-round draft pick. That's someone yeah. that you can you can get a little bit later. Palo Alto guy, by the way. Shout-out Bay Area. Yeah, Bay Area. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, for whatever reason, it's just, it's in my gut. Like, I can list way more reasons why they shouldn't take a wide out then uh, both the Raiders and the Niners, I can list more reasons why they shouldn't than they should, but it's just in my gut with those three guys there. And I think all three are going to be there. The two Alabama kids. And then the, uh, the other kids from what LSU or Florida Jefferson, you're talking about LSU, uh, LSU, um, CD lamb, CD lambs from Oklahoma. Oh, okay. They, that, that's what I was talking about. I was talking about lamb, lamb, Judy and, and rugs. Yeah, um, I think I think you, the best point you brought up is the fact that the 49ers, uh, they don't have those supplemental draft picks. They don't have, you know, the, the two, second, three, third, four. fourth rounders. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you see him move back out of that. John Lynch would, I think, be the guy who would realize that he can get somebody really compelling in the second or third round. And you could turn that middle of the first round. Uh, number one pick, you can turn that into two or three picks later on in this draft. And now that you bring yeah. it up, I'd probably rather see the 49ers do that than anything. The rumor is, is that's, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take both of their first round picks. But if they, if they end up keeping them, if they don't get a good enough deal, I would take one of the top wideouts with the first one. And then I would take a DB because they still have their own pick at, at 31 or whatever. I would take a DB down there. Uh, what do you think about the Raiders taking a wide out there? They need something for Carr. <laughs> They need something besides car is what they need. So, um, yeah. You're done with car? I'm done with car. I think the Raiders should be done with car. I think that he's, look, the ceiling on Derek Carr 
is not what you're going to need to get over the hump, even in your own division. That's that's the case I would make. They that, went thir- they went thirteen and three when uh, when he had stuff around him, when he had Amari Cooper, when he had uh, Crabtree, when he had. I mean, is he, he the same player? Is he the same player now that he was that season? Yeah, I okay. mean he's he's a little bit more gun shy, but I mean hell, I I saw Nick Saban come out and say the biggest flaw about Tua is. He's too much. He's too much of a competitor. So he tries to make plays when there's not plays, and that's when he ends up getting hurt. He goes, if you look at all the times he got injured, it's times where there was nothing there, and he should have just threw the ball away. So yeah, it annoys the hell out of fans when Carr chucks it out of the end zone or throws it at his feet. Hell, it annoys me when he throws it at his feet. You can at least throw something where it looks like maybe you're trying to do something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just throwing it at your feet is basically just saying like I forfeit. So that annoys me too. But he's. He learned from getting hurt when he got hurt, and that was their playoff year. He got hurt in, like, I think the second-to-last game. Um, so, uh, look, I still believe in Carr, but you got to put, like, like any other quarterback, you got to put stuff around him. No, you're absolutely right. The, here, the, the Raiders situation is you're going to draft the best available player here, and if you believe that the best available player also matches your need and it's Jerry Judy, then you got to go with Jerry Judy, and I, I have no problem with that. Um, that's the right move in this draft. But at some point, Jerry Judy needs to be catching passes from somebody besides Derek Carr if you're going to even win that division. Yeah, I got you. Do you have a? Uh, do you want to? Do you want to jump in on my on my on my Zoom party tonight? What you're having a Zoom party? Yeah, you don't have a date for the, you don't have a date for the draft tonight. No. Come on, man. You gotta join, join our group. It's only gonna be like, I don't know, six or eight of us. You gotta, I mean, you gotta, this is our only chance for normalcy. OC, after this, it's gonna be. I'll jump in, I'll jump into your Zoom party. Love it. All right. Perfect. I got you locked in. I'll tell the boys that they'll be juiced. Is Gabbo gonna be there? Uh, I can get Gabbo in. Okay. He's not, he's not on the party. Yeah, Artie will be there. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, look. After this OC, well, I guess there's the draft tomorrow too, and then Saturday, and then Sunday we have the Michael Jordan stuff, which we'll get into maybe tomorrow or uh, later later in the weekend. But um, yeah, I mean, th- this is like the only chance we have. I mean, everything's canceled. Golf is canceled. I mean, we're hell- we're watching people play video games. People are gambling on people playing video games. This yeah. draft tonight is the first thing where you can feel like let's all get together and watch the draft again. I, th- th- for the record, I haven't done a Zoom party since this whole thing started. This will be my this will be my christening into Zoom. So you'll love it. You'll love it. Uh, yeah. I, before, I, it sounds like you're trying to wrap this up. I got a question for you though. Okay. We're gonna write this down. We're going to keep track of it. We'll go right. hot old takes exposed if it's a bad guess, and we'll give you credit if it's a good guess. But okay. a couple of years ago, people talked about Pat Mahomes and being a dark horse and what is he. And, and now oh, oh, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Go ahead. We talk about him as maybe, you know, the best player in football right now. Yep. Not maybe. By far. Okay. He's like would, the god of football. He's amazing. Yeah, right. I was not. He was, was he, he was down double digits in every playoff game. He was down. I think he was down twenty to the Texans or something, or or twenty to the Titans. One of the two. 
Yeah. And then he was down, he was down 10 in the fourth quarter against the Niners and made that. Not only did they win, they won, they won easily. Anyways, go ahead. I know where you're going. Well, then you could just finish it for me, but. No, 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 keep going. Ask the question. Who is the player in this draft that two, three, four years from now, we're going to be talking about at least the best in his position? Maybe not the best in all of football like we are with Pat Mahomes, but who's the guy in this draft that we're talking about him in the near future as that dude. Interesting. Okay, that's not where I thought you were going. I thought you, you were going to I thought you were going to ask me whether or not I thought Jordan Love was going to be the Pat Mahomes of this of this draft because a lot of people Whoa, that was strong. Oh, cuz you're in Utah and he's a Utah State kid. Yeah, that's not a rivalry, but look, Jordan Love what happened with Jordan Love is Jordan Love is an excellent player when he has – it's the exact thing that we just talked about 15 minutes ago. Jordan Love was great at Utah State when he had a supporting cast that was above average relative to the competition that they played. When he had his unbelievable seasons, it was because he had – a great defense supporting him. He had an excellent offensive line protecting him. He had an NFL running back who now plays for those Super Bowl championship chiefs in his backfield. And he had a tight end who played the NFL. He had two wide receivers who got at least cups of coffee in the NFL. As soon as those guys graduated and he had a coaching change and had to learn a new language, he fell off and he threw 18 picks. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, you know, there's like a like a five thousand dollar bet, I think, between McShay and 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 Kuiper on who's gonna go first between him and and Herbert. Yeah, I, there are people out there who like Jordan Love better. And I, look, I don't know the kid. I don't want to say bad things about him. I I know that when you get into this draft evaluation thing, you end up killing these twenty one year old dudes, and that's just not the right thing to do. But if it's my franchise, if it's some, if I'm the coach and I'm looking at the situation he was in when he was successful versus the situation he was in in this last year where his production completely fell off. I am not letting his senior bowl, I am not letting his combine, I am not letting his workout throws make me forget about the fact that he was trying to pull so many plays out of his ass and he put his team in bad <laughs> situations when he was he was supposed to be one of the best court. I mean the comparison leading in to his senior year, or to, yeah, to his year at Utah State, his junior year here, the comparison is, is this guy Carson Wentz? Is this guy Josh Allen? Is this guy going to be a top 10 quarterback pick and one of the best quarterbacks in the, the entire country? And he was not in that conversation. He was not in the top 10 of that conversation when we got to the end of the college football season. Fair enough. I mean, he it, look, his 2019 was very forgettable, but his 2018 was was pretty amazing. And, you know, all the experts say he's got all the intangibles. I mean, look, OK, it, then let's draft Joe. Then where if we're going talking about 2018, let, where are we drafting Joe Burrow based on 2018? <laughs> OK, if fair you enough. Just, the idea that we could just throw out 2019 and don't worry about that. OK, well, then Joe Burrow is a seventh round draft pick. Yeah. All right. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not saying throw it out. 
Uh, I'm just saying you have to, you know, you have to factor all of it in. So yeah, for, for Burrow, you, you have to factor that in. You can't, can't just have recency bias. Anyways, that, that leads me right into the, the answer to your question, who I think is going to be the best at their position when this is all over. I'm going to go with Grant Delpit. Out of LSU. Huh? Really? Yeah. LSU safety Grant Delpit is going to be that dude for you. Well, I mean, again, it's very similar to what we were just talking about. He, you know, in, in 2018, he played like a top five pick. 2019, not so much. But I think depending on what organization he goes to, I think he's going to be able to tap into that. And I think, you know, whatever. You ask me for, a, you know, it could be a hot, freezing, cold lava ice take or whatever. Or it could be, I could be genius. Who knows? No, I like I like where you went there because it's not a name I would have thought. I didn't even know you knew that guy's name, quite frankly. Well, I mean, I'm not claiming to be a college football expert, but he plays for LSU. Yeah. And okay. Who do you I, got? Well, I mean, we talked about him a lot already. I, I really do think that Okuda could end up being like that that lockdown. I mean, the Josh Norman, prime Josh Norman, right? Yeah. Uh, the Darrell Revis kind of thing. And you, you mentioned Nambi Asamoah, right? The thing mm-hmm. that people forget about is when it comes to these corners and them being like the big man on campus, so to speak, in the NFL, it's a tiny little window. It's like being a running back. You just There are very few Charles Woodsons out there. There are very few dudes that can sit in Dion's that can sustain that over a couple of franchises, a couple of contracts. It doesn't happen that often where guys have the longevity to be one of the best lockdown corners. Oh, in the- you fall off. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a great example to a running back because you fall off the face of the earth. I mean, you could be, you know, Derivas Island one day and then people are posting stuff on Twitter showing how you got smoked or whatever. It's, it's hateful. A, it's, it's very hateful. <laughs> we just, we love watching the fall off. It's, it's a mad, terrible thing to do to people, yeah. but, um, well, yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of bravado that comes with sports. So when you're on top, I mean, that's why, that's why it's very important. I mean, I don't like it because I, I'm more entertained the, the louder and more bombastic you are. So for me, keep doing you, but, um, <laughs> with success, it's, it's probably wise to keep in mind, be a little bit, you know, be as humble as you can be because, when it, when you do fall off the face of the earth, people jump on it way more depending on how loud you were when you were really good. Yeah, the Josh Norman scenario, right? Exactly. Where the dude never shut up, got his big contract, and then yeah. was bad. Yeah, yeah um, with Namdi, with Namdi, people took it a little bit easier on him because he was always soft spoken. You know, married to Kerry Washington. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but he was a he wasn't really like all in. Face. Huh? I didn't even know that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so my ex used to get, um, people magazine. And so I would read it all the time at her house when we were just chilling. And then we, you don't have to, you don't have to blame it on your ex. You can just say, I used to read people magazine. Okay. No, but hang on. Oh, see, I have to quality. I mean, that's, that's, no, you know, you could just say you're a comfortable man. You, you're a man secure in masculinity. (laughs) You could just say, I used to read people magazine. You don't have to, you don't have to frame it so that it's blamed on somebody else for obtaining the magazine. Just say, I used to read people magazine. Uh, oh, see, I am comfortable, which is why I admitted it, but I do have to give the qualification that the reason why I did is that my ex had him lying around. Anyways, so now, now that we're broken up, um, 
I don't, I don't get those anymore, but I refuse to buy them. But what I do is I take my time in line at the grocery store and I'll take one and I'll, and I'll read through it as quick as I can. I only like specific celebrities. Anyways, that's how I happen to know, uh, that they're married. But my point is they, the people out there went, went easier on, on, on Namdi because he wasn't bombastic when he was successful. Yeah. He wasn't all up in your face, you know, and the guys that were loud and proud, um, uh, are but anyways, I don't even know how we went down that rabbit hole. What were we talking about? We were talking about Jeffrey Okuda potentially yeah. being a guy that we talk about in the next couple of years as the best at his position in the league. You took an easier one. You took a potential. Oh, top I, did. I, did. I didn't ask you to go wild card here on okay. me. I'm just. Right. Well, I wanted. Uh, I wanted to go wild card. Okay. I yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys in this draft that I think are going to be really solid players. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many people really predicted that Pat Mahomes was going to be what he is now, but um, nobody did. Well, I, I, I was shocked. I don't remember. You know, I, who, thought, I thought the Chiefs, I knew the Chiefs traded up to get him, but I didn't realize that he was, uh, what, what was he? He was 10th overall. Pat Mahomes? Yeah. I think they traded to the 10 spot. I was shocked by that because I'll put it like this. I was shocked because I don't remember being shocked when the trade happened. I thought it was all pick. Yeah. I thought it was more like, I thought it was more like later in the first round that they moved up to get him. I didn't realize it was all the way to the 10th. So I I mean, I think, I, I think that makes Mahomes a little bit less shocking. The fact that he was a top 10 pick. Well, and the other thing about Pat Mahomes is we act like he came out of nowhere because, look, he was at Texas Tech, and that's a, you know, it's a mid-major at best now. But um, also, Pat Mahomes, he 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 was drafted and stashed. He was drafted and got to play the backup role behind Alex Smith for a while. And people underestimate how important that can be, even for someone who's as talented as Pat Mahomes, right? The yeah. transition, like we're going to ask Joe Burrow to go from being on the best team in college football, one of the best teams ever in college football, to being the quarterback and try to steer the ship of a garbage Cincinnati team. You know how hard that's going to be for that dude? Yeah. Same thing with Tua Tagovailoa. He's coming from a, from a college football dynasty, and if he ends up in a Miami Dolphins uniform, you're talking about – three consecutive four consecutive decades of ineptitude that he's got to try and be the solution to i mean that is just you're asking these dudes to to do the impossible pat mahomes got to sit behind one of the more underrated quarterbacks of the last 15 years alex smith doesn't get any respect but he's a hell of a quarterback right he's not a hall of famer he's a multiple time pro bowler he's a guy that was extremely efficient he's a coach's dream so, I don't know, man. It just—it's a tough thing to ask these guys to jump right in and and turn a franchise around. And we we point to Pat Mahomes like, oh my gosh, look what he did. He's so young, and he's you know his second year. He's already the best quarterback in the league. Okay, but in his first year, he wasn't asked to start week one. Yeah. He wasn't asked to jump in the deep end of the swimming pool and get his ass kicked like. Like Alex Smith was when he got drafted. Yeah, no, I mean for sure. It, 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 a lot of these top, like I mean, look at you know Peyton Manning, three and thirteen his first year. I mean, a lot of these guys step into horrible situations. It's why 
they were drafted so high because the team stunk so bad. And in Mahomes' case, he was walking into a playoff team. How often does a, a, a top-notch guy like that walk into a situation where all they need is somebody to get him over the hump? And the Chiefs played that perfectly because they got Alex Smith, they put the pieces around him, they built this winner, and then they they realized Alex Smith is great, but he ain't getting us to come back from 20 to 10. Mahomes is going to be the one throwing bombs to Sammy Watkins and to Tyreek Hill to to take up. By the way, before we get to uh, what we're going to watch, um, have you seen the mic'd up version of the Super Bowl? No. You have to add that to your DVR because it is, I mean, it, it, it'll it crush Niners fans. But I think even as, as a Niners fan, if you watch that, you can't help but just tip your cap to, to the, the mic'd up version is so incredible. Two things. One. Mahomes was the MVP, obviously, but you're going to find out just we were talking about Herbert and whether or not, you know, you need a bombastic leader. Mahomes is a nut job, bombastic leader who was basically telling everybody when they were down 20 to 10, don't even trip. They're going to write. They're going to talk about this in the history books like we he couldn't have been more confident that they were going to win. And two, something that I don't think popped up while you were watching the Super Bowl, the honey badger. Mahomes was the MVP. The Honey Badger was the MVP of the defense. He was basically the Mahomes of the defense, talking to everybody. He was running around everywhere. I don't know what his numbers were specifically in terms of passes deflected or tackles or whatever, but the way that they cut it up and the way that they showed the mic'd up, it was the mic'd up version of the Super Bowl is incredible. Well, I'll watch it, even though I'm going to cringe because I am a Niners fan and because I don't want to hear Pat Mahomes' Kermit the Frog voice screaming at everybody. Ah, come on, man. Hey, we're going to talk about this in the history books. We're going to talk about this in the history books. Like that dude, I guess he had to have one one thing working against him, you know, and that that's it. Yeah. That, yeah. that weird Kermit voice. All right, so the formula is we start off every show with something about the Rona, then we jump into a sports topic, and then we end it with – recommendations for uh for people to watch recommend things for people to watch recommendations for people to watch so um i'll start and i'm gonna go with a very obvious one that i think probably 75 percent of the people listening have already seen but i hadn't so in case so this is for the 25 percent out there that haven't seen it ozarks tell me you've seen ozarks oc I just finished watching season three of Ozark. Okay. Did you love it? Season one, unbelievable. Did I make it plural for no reason? Yeah. I called it, I called it Ozarks. Ozarks, I mean, because Ozarks. It works, kind of. Anyway, they are the Ozarks, like they're mountains, right? So anyway. Go I'll ahead. Watch. You're going to poo-poo Ozarks? Season one, incredible. Okay. okay. Season two, started strong. By the end, eh. Season three, I, I was debating, right? I was debating whether I wanted to watch season three because they really jumped the shark with some stuff in season two. And I, I go, I actually took to Twitter and I was just like, tell me season three is better than this. And people were like, oh, season three is the best season. You got to watch it. It's so good. So I pushed through season three. And at the end of it, I was mad that I did. Wow. Talk about a hot take. I didn't think there was anybody that didn't like Ozark. Look, season one was incredible. Season two, and, and, and part of the reason why Ozark is so appealing and when you're watching it in season one is because the writing, while it's obviously a far-fetched storyline, it's still believable because your your concepts of what like this organized crime world and money laundering and all that stuff, what 
rudimentary concepts we have in our head. We're like, okay, what's happening here is believable. This is a guy who's really good at something. He gets into a bad situation. He's in over his head. He's trying to figure out a way to keep his family safe, and he's scrambling. All right, that's a little plot synopsis for you. But it's believable. And then halfway through season two, they start doing this stuff, and then none of it is believable after that. All of it is so far-fetched, so convenient, what is noticed and what is not. It's just... They lost me. They, they jumped the shark, so to speak. I, I wish I hadn't watched season three. Wow. That is, I mean, I haven't met anybody that that has had that take. And I'm, admittedly, I'm pretty gullible in terms of believing stuff. But I also, I am very quick. I'm a logical person. Like, this is probably the cause of 95% of my fights with any of my significant others that I've ever had, is that if if A plus B doesn't equal C, I'm sorry, but like we can't go further. I can't suspend belief and continue to have this conversation until you acknowledge that A plus B has to equal C. So, yeah. so while I'm gullible, I do I hate when there's huge gaps where it's like totally not believable. The beauty to me about Ozark is that I think that they make the unbelievable believable. Like there are times where I'm like. How the hell are they, how the hell are they going to get out of this without spoiling anything? Um, how are they going to get out of this? Oh, there's no way. But for me, the beauty of the show is that I think they do a really good job of making it so you're like, Oh yeah, I guess that could have gone down like that. Like I didn't even see that angle coming, but yeah, I mean, Look, it's a creative show, but there's some things in there that you're just like, Okay. I mean, All you're right. expecting me, you're expecting me to swallow that and you're expecting me to believe that the cops are once again conveniently ignoring this particular fact about this particular situation. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. their small Ozark sheriff or whatever. The, the FBI's there for the whole damn show. Yeah. Anyway. I like, know, but I, they I, find, they, they find a way to, in my opinion. I, I acknowledge though, my television taste has been questioned before. Because I didn't like Breaking Bad either. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe I'm just a charlatan and I don't, I don't get good TV. I, like I'll freely admit that that I might be the problem here. But you're you're an you, outlaw. All right. Well, for, from if from anyone o- wants to have a detailed conversation about where Ozark jumped the shark, I have strong points here. Okay, and I am willing well, to we'll convey them it. to you. We'll talk about it off air. So from from OC and Z. You have from Z, you have all three seasons. You're going to love it. Watch it. From OC, you have season one. Season watch one, it. You're going to love it. Season two. And then after that, after half of season two, he's out. Yeah. That's what do right. you got? What's your recommendation? Well, I am a little bit more, uh, you know, high minded than you. So <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. No, Mr. No, no. In all seriousness, though, like people have a lot of time on their hands right now. Yeah. And it's been 20 years since most people watched Sopranos. Go back. It's it's worth rewatching. You don't remember everything you thought you think you do about it. That is, if not the greatest television show of all time, it is up there. It is absolutely phenomenal. I recommend watching that. But on my high-minded side of things, um, on Nat Geo or on Disney Plus or whatever National Geographic you have, there is a documentary – called Into the Okavango that's about the Okavango Delta in Africa. And the reason I bring this up is because we live in this in this time where we have information just in our faces, literally in our the palm of our hand, these supercomputers. We can get 
any information we want at any time, right? This documentary was made in 2018, and they go on an exploration in, like, deep, dark Angola. And they find the source of a river that feeds the Okavango Delta that, Zachariah, they didn't know where the river came from before 2018. Like, the locals did, but science, like the community of scientists around the world uh-huh. weren't sure where this humongous water source began before 2018. So they so they follow it and get to the root of it? So they go to the top where they think it is, and then the whole documentary is about following it all the way down and making sure it is what they thought it was. And it's wow. just like, I was fascinated by the concept of, like, you know, Sacagawea-led explorations People didn't know what they were going to see, right? Now, when you go, even if you go somewhere, it's been mapped before. We have satellite images of it. This documentary is about a crew that went to a place that had been uncharted. Like, people had not drawn accurate maps of it before. They they didn't know what was going to be in front of them. They get on this river, and they don't know whether there's going to be a waterfall or there's going to be rapids and stuff. (laughs) That's a throwback. Bro, that is a throwback yeah. to, like, the exploration days of colonialism and stuff. We don't have that anymore. I didn't think that existed in 2018, but they made a documentary about it. That's dope. That's dope. All right, well, I'll see you, to, uh, I'll, I'll see you tonight on the Zoom date, and then we'll be back tomorrow to uh, react to the draft. All right, that sounds good. And then uh, I got to work on creating a – I guess I'll probably edit this out because I don't want people starting – actually, I don't think we're big enough for people to start – uh, Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts and all that stuff. No one's gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna fake us. <laughs> we might have to buy it off somebody. Who knows? This could take off, kid. <laughs> Starting on this episode only. Yes. <laughs> OC and Z, we out. Holla.